Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. Hey, we're going to be taking care of business today. You know, you are in business. You're in business for yourself. Doesn't matter if you have a traditional J-O-B, you still are in business for yourself. We'll talk about why in the context of some of today's questions. Hey, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days and you get a free audio book. I'll be telling you some recommendations in that light here in just a little bit, but audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. You can pick up the copy of any book there and pretty much anything you can think of that I mentioned here is going to be available there in an audio format. Love to listen to those. I just uh, had a trip to Atlanta this last week and I popped in the old, the science of getting rich Wallace Waddles written back in 1910. Listen to that all the way down there. It's about five hours probably of audio, but I love filling that time rather than just with uh, chewing gum for the brain that you're going to get in radio, pop in something that's worthwhile. Well, anyway, got some important things to cover this week. You know, I want to mention we are approaching the end of the year, obviously. November 14th is a big day around here. You want to guess why November 14th is a big day around here? Because that's when it is 48 days to the beginning of the new year. Now, guess what I want to have finished at that point? I'm going to have all my goals in place, clearly laid out, knowing what it is I want to accomplish, knowing what I want 2014 to look like. And I recommend that you do the same. Of course, I'll have a link to the goal setting process in the podcast notes. If you haven't started that yet, now is a great time. No matter when it is you're listening to this, it's probably getting close to that timeline. So jump in there, decide in advance what you want the next year to look like. You know what it's going to look like if you don't do any planning, it's going to be pretty much a repeat of this year. Now, if you're at the top of your game and that's fine, that's what you want, then, Hey, that's cool. I'm, I'm your big, biggest fan, but if you want different results, you got to decide now what it is you're going to change to make the next year, what you want it to be. I certainly do that. There's never been a year, never in my life. Has there been a year where I said, Oh wow, this is good enough. I want to just continue. Just repeat whatever. There's never been a year like that. Not even close. I'm so jazzed about some of the things we've got in the hopper for next year. I mean, I'm having meetings right now, a bunch more than I like having meetings, but it's because we're planning, getting all the strategy in place for things that we're going to be doing in 2014. Well, hey, our our theme for today is, are you listening to the devil? Now that may sound kind of odd, but I'll tell you why here in a minute. Here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today. Dan, how can I get a Shark Tank idea from other people? Dan, when would you recommend I form an LLC to protect myself and my family? What are the top three things we can do to get people back to work? Dan, I keep wondering what changes you've made to the job search process. Now, I'll I'll explain that. People know that I'm working on a revision of 48 Days to the Work You Love, so I'll, I'll address that. 
give you some links to help you if you're in the job search process right now, which incidentally, this is a great time of year to be in the job search process. Don't get caught up in this week thinking that, oh, this isn't a good time to be looking for a job. You'll just wait because now we're in the holidays and you'll wait till January 1st. No, you're going to lose your opportunity. This is a great time to be very aggressive in the job search process. Well, I'll expand on that a little bit. And someone says, Dan, why should I work with an employment agency? Great questions, all of them. Now, I said we're going to talk about the theme today, Are You Listening to the Devil? Why would I suggest such a thing? Well, a a week or so ago, I had in one of my blogs a quotation. And I said, if you can tell me who is being quoted here, I'll give you the first three people a free book. Well, this is a quotation that I used. The question was, then is it important that one select one's close associates with great care? And the respondent, the person responding, said this. Now, this happens to be the devil being quoted. He said, yes, one's intimate associates should be chosen with as much care as one chooses the food with which he feeds his body, with the object always of associating with people whose dominating thoughts are positive, friendly, and harmonious. Now, the reason the devil was saying that is because he was being questioned. Now, this comes from the old book by Napoleon Hill called Outwitting the Devil. And he was asking the devil, what can we do to outwit you? And that's exactly what the devil said. Choose your associates carefully, because if you hang around people whose dominating thoughts are positive, friendly, and harmonious, I don't have a chance. He's saying, if people don't hang around people who are thinking positive thoughts, who are friendly and harmonious, if people are hanging around other people who are whiners and complainers and cheaters, man, they're easy targets for me. That's what I want. But if you want to defeat me, all you have to do is hang around people who are on a different path. How often do we talk about that here? A ton. Well, I put that out thinking that that's from a really obscure book and I'll have people try to Google and it was difficult to find anything through Google based on that quotation because it really is not a very popular book. And I thought, well, I'll let that blog run. I did it on a Wednesday. I thought I'd let it run through Sunday and then I'll just tell everybody and we'll go on from there. Well, it took about 18 minutes for me to get the three winners. I could not believe how many of you are familiar, well-read obviously, but how many of you are familiar with that quotation? So it, it took just, I mean, literally about 18 minutes, we had three winners. I went in immediately, put an update in the blog so people reading it would know not to waste their time submitting their answer. One of the gentlemen who won lives in England, lives in London. And he said, I know I probably had an unfair advantage because of the time difference, because when my blog went out, it was already mid-afternoon there. And, you know, I had, a, I had several people complain about the time zone disadvantage for them, but hey, I did it impulsively, spontaneously, and it's not something I do often where I have a limited number of winners. But the guy from England said, hey, don't send me the book. I want to come and get it. How cool is that? His name is Alexander, and uh, he's going to be coming to the United States and actually wants to come and pick his book up and take me to lunch, which we've already arranged for in the latter part of November. So a cool thing. But anyway, that is the quotation, and it comes from Outwitting the Devil. Incidentally, that's one of those books. You can go listen to it. 
mean, how cool is that? Now, Sharon Lecter is the one that put that together. And so it's, it's her reading the book, but she was the co-author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. But you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days, put in Outwitting the Devil, and you can get that, which is a book that I highly recommend. It's got some profound thoughts in there about education and our religious institutions that'll rock your world. And I think there are some things that are right on in terms of shaping our thinking and the way that it ought to be. I think they're accurate predictions that the devil there is saying, now this was Napoleon Hill theoretically interviewing the devil, whether you think it happened literally or not, it doesn't really matter. Most writing, even inspired writing, uh, has uh, insights that we expect to go beyond just our normal thinking, and I think this really is one of those books. All right, moving on. Incidentally, I'm going to, in a, in a couple weeks, within the next couple weeks, I'm going to do a podcast that I devote kind of to what do some people do who have extraordinary success? One of the principles we talk about a lot is that 95% of authors never make money more than $40,000 a year. 90%, 95% of speakers about the same, never make more than 40,000. So I'm constantly trying to look at what is it that you have to do to put yourself in that 5%. And that's one of the principles. I mean, Robin Sharma says to have the results only 5% have, you need to do the things that only 5% are willing to do. So I'm going to devote a podcast to what are some of the things that people have done to put themselves in that 5%? Now, there's some pretty unusual things out there. I mean, Benjamin Franklin used to sit naked every morning in fresh air for his bath, which he swore fueled his energy and creativity. And then, as you know, he went on to list 13 character tricks he wanted to build, and he would work on you know, one of those each week. So in the course of a year, he would go through each one of those 13 character traits where that would be his primary focus for the week four times. Leonardo da Vinci slept in small naps throughout the day versus versus sleeping eight hours straight. So there are things I'm going to be sharing. What do some of those people do? What have they done to put themselves in the 5%? Well, let's go on with our success stories. Got a note here that kind of relates to the success stories. And so I'll, I'll just read that. This comes from Tim Hansen, who says, Dan, love your podcast, and especially the success stories shared in one of your past podcasts. You mentioned that you could go on and on with success stories. If you had the time, I would submit to you that it would probably be a bestseller. In today's economic climate, what I'm seeing people need most is inspiration and hope. Most people I know have enough education and know how to to change their circumstances, but what they struggle with is belief, dealing with loss, depression, etc. And I believe the stories you mentioned would be a great asset for many in giving us hope. Your recent podcast about your own circumstances when your health and fitness business went under is a classic example. You took a commission-based sales job to pay your bills while you continued to build your dream biz that you have now. I've seen this played out in my own life as well as others. When you see a light at the end of the tunnel, hope and developing belief, the fog of depression and indecision starts to lift and people change their life at a rapid rate. Just my two cents. Thanks for all the great advice, Tim. Well, Tim, thanks for your input on that. I mean, I have so many ideas for things that could be developed into books. And incidentally, my publisher 
is tapping me on the shoulder right now saying, hey, get us some ideas. You know, what are we, what are we going to do? And I ought to frame that a little bit because some of the things that we're going to be launching in 2014 kind of frame my excitement about doing another traditional print book. Now, I love doing that. You know, my latest one was Wisdom Meets Passion, which is another title that you can get. If you haven't had a chance to read that, listen to that. It's really interesting in that I do that with my son, Jared, who has dyslexia, is not a good reader. Reading is an excruciating struggle. So doing the audio of that book was a painful and lengthy process, but he wanted to do it. He didn't want to stand in. He wanted to do it. The sense of gratification from having done it himself, where it was a process really of doing one sentence at a time. He would read the sentence so he would see it in his mind. So he sees the word visually in his mind. Then he could say them in a sequence without messing up. But it was excruciatingly painful. You don't pick that up. I think it flows pretty smoothly. People have told me that again and again. But uh, grab the audio of Wisdom Meets Passion. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. You can get Wisdom Meets Passion there as well. But publishers are you know, knocking on my door saying, hey, what are you going to do as the next book? Let's get something going here. But when I look at the, I, golly, I hate to almost frame it in this way, but really when I look at the financial compensation for doing a book compared to some other things that we're doing, like online courses, I mean, my gosh, if I have a book, if I have a traditional kind of relationship with a publisher and they do a book and we sell 10,000 copies and I get a buck and a half a piece, that's 15,000 bucks. What if I do an online course that is an hour long video with a 60 page PDF and a startup guide for a particular area of content, like we're getting ready to do with how to create your own mastermind group. What if we price that at $48? post it ourselves on our site or even through joint ventures with other sites like Udemy and Linda and Creative Life and so on. What if we put that up at $48 and sold 10,000 of those? That's not $15,000. That's $480,000. I mean, the numbers are so astronomically different. I mean, I'm really being pulled in new directions in how to share my message and how to provide content so that traditional books, even though Publishers would love to work with me. Traditional books really have a hard time getting on my radar. That's something I'm struggling with. Now, I will do that. And I'm delighted about doing the revision of 48 Days to the Work You Love, which we'll release in November of 2014 as a special 10th anniversary edition. I'm jazzed about that. But along with that, you can be sure that's not the only way I'm going to be sharing all the new content. I'm going to be doing that in audio and video segments that go way beyond just what's in between hardcovers of a 240-page book. Well, let me go on. Anyway, thanks, Tim, for your your note. Here's a note from Todd Stocker, regular listener and contributor. Dan, I heard you talk about resources for self-publishers wanted to pass along another website resource for your on-air family. When I wrote my ebook, Breakthrough Weight Loss, Five Proven Ways to Get and Stay Healthy Today, I used a cover designer from a website called Fiverr. For $5, they'll do a book or ebook cover. Their people also do graphic design, music production, and the like, a cheap way to create professional value. 
Now, that, that's one that we use a lot, Todd. I appreciate you bringing that to our attention. It's a great source, Fiverr. It's F-I-V-E-R-R.com. So Fiverr with two R's.com. It's an amazing site. It's one that I can jump on on a Saturday afternoon at four o'clock when you think nobody's working, put a project out there for a little design thing. Or here, here's the kind of things that we do there as well. If I have a PDF and I want it to be an editable t- PDF, which means the content is locked, but I want people to be able to write in the lines that I create. So if we're going to do a goal setting as an example, and I want it to be a locked PDF so people can't go in and change the content. I mean, I don't care if people pass it on, but I don't want them to change the content other than what I've already written, but I want to be able to write in the lines. That's a perfect project for Fiverr.com. For five bucks, somebody will go through the document and do exactly what I just described. Now, Todd says he had a cover design done. I went and looked at your cover design. Scott looks stellar on your book, Breakthrough Weight Loss. Appreciate you passing that on. Just got a book from Ryan Edson, who the book is A Couple with Common Sense. Great little fiction novel on a couple working through the process of being on the same page to get on, get out of debt. Really well done. The cover is stellar. It's a beautiful cover. You know, if there's one thing that gives away self-published books, it's poorly done covers. So I don't care if you're going to self-publish an 18-page book, get a great cover. If you want to get any traction at all online, and the reason people buy things online is because they're looking at the cover. They don't know what's inside, but if you show them a great cover, you're 70% of the way home. So another example of somebody who did a really great cover. Well, hey, that brings us to the end of what I'm going to share this week in our success stories. And here, as you know, is our little theme song for the success stories. Yeah. You know what? Here we go. The champions. We are the champions. All right. You know, I was just at uh, Kent Julian's Speakers Boot Camp. He does a little thing where he goes into Simon Says, but he starts his presentations at high school with high school kids by personally singing that song, the old Queen song, We Are the Champions. But anyway, I love that little tag that we're going to use here at the end of our success stories. Well, here, this, this uh, comes from Brett, who says, Dan, I was watching Shark Tank the other night. There was a good product on there that didn't have a lot of sales. The person who created the product was working a full-time job and working their product in their spare time. The person didn't get a deal for this very reason. I started thinking that there are probably products and business ideas out there that have failed because a person who created them just didn't have the time or the marketing expertise to really get the product going. What are your thoughts on this and how would you find those products? I'm thinking you could purchase the product or business and run with it. Your thoughts. P.S. I can't tell you how much I enjoy your podcast and appreciate all the things you do. Well, Brad, thanks for your, your question. That's a great approach. Yes, it makes me cringe when I, uh, and I love watching Shark Tank. Incidentally, one of our gang here, Pierce Mars, does a Shark Tank podcast. If you just go to marscoaching.com, you'll see a link to his podcast. He's rocked it. Was interviewed recently in Business Insiders. 
with the podcast he does, and he's interviewed a lot of the, the contestants who have been on there. But it, it breaks my heart when I see somebody come on there with a really great idea, a well-executed product or idea, and they have no sales. Well, you know, Mark Cuban and those other guys are going to just roll their eyes when they say, oh, I've got $5,000 in sales. They're going to think, what are you doing here asking us to invest money when you have no more of a track record than that? Now, that relates to a whole lot of things. There are a lot of people who have a book idea and they're knocking on doors of publishers and publishers are saying, well, gee, who are you? Who's your audience? Who's already listening to you? How many of you already sold? Well, gee, no, this is just a great idea. I want you to help me do all those things. Well, publishers don't want to take that risk. So the best thing to do is to jump in there, do a little self-publishing book to sell 10,000 of them. Then publishers will talk to you. Now, sometimes people think, well, that's backward. They'll think that you've already kind of diluted the market out there or saturated the market in what you've sold. No, not at all. If a publisher sees that you've sold 10,000 of something yourself or even 5,000, they're going to say, wow, you've proven the fact that there's a market for this. You've proven your ability to get in the game. Yeah, this may be somebody that we want to take a second look at. Well, same thing has happened happens on Shark Tank. You show up there and say you've had $5,000 in total sales and that you're going to have a hard time getting an investor, but you show that you've already been in the game, you're selling it. Wow, you're going to have some eager players potentially to join you with what you're doing. So if you see an idea on there, yeah, you could purchase that product, be a distributor, just get a low discount on that product. And if you have the ability to sell it, jump in there. You could partner with the entrepreneur on Shark Tank as a marketing consultant for a percentage of the business, just like they're hoping to get an agreement for on Shark Tank. A lot of those people are going to walk away with no agreement there at all. If it's something that you really believe in, you think you get to help them sell, sure, contact them. They're not that hard to find. You know, contact them and follow up and tell them what you could bring to the table for them. You could find similar products that also have not been marketed well. And so now you have a little store that has a compilation of similar products. I mean, I like that a lot. It's a lot easier to become known as a source for pet products as an example than it is for just one particular product. Now your point is really well taken here, Brent, and that is the money is always in selling. The money is not in inventing or manufacturing. The money is in selling. So if you want to make money, uh, don't, don't stress out about having to come up with something totally brand new and original. That's never been done before. No, find something that has been poorly marketed and sell the fire out of it. I mean, I make a lot of money on books that are not books that I wrote. I mean, we find titles like how to make use of a useless degree. What's well, a great title it was never marketed. Well, we can buy the book for pennies in the dollar. I mean, literally on a book like that, I can buy it. It was a $14.95 book. We bought them, I think for a dollar and 32 cents, bought tons of them, sold tons of them. At that point, the author's making zero. That means the books are coming out of liquidation. They're getting zero. I didn't write the book and we're making, as opposed to, you know, a dollar and 50 cents, which an author may make on a traditional book. We're making six to $8 on that book because I know how to sell them so that money is always in selling. If you've got the ability to sell, you can partner with people, find products, do your own thing, all kinds of options because the money comes from selling 10% of the value is in developing 
something, inventing, producing a product, or in writing a book, 10%. 10% of the value. 90% of the value, the success, the compensation, the money, the big bucks, comes from promoting, positioning, pricing, marketing that puppy. Well, let's go on here. This comes from, um, yeah, I cut off the name. Thanks for all you do. Just started a blog that I hope to turn into a coaching speaking business. When would you recommend I form an LLC to protect myself and my family? I heard this past Friday that you got sued for using a picture on your blog. It has me concerned about getting sued myself. Any help would be great. Well, a couple responses to that. For one thing, coaching and speaking is what I would consider a very low risk business. I mean, you don't have high liability in doing that. I would be more concerned about forming an LLC if you had a lawn mowing service where one of your guys may, you know, pick up a rock and throw it through somebody's window and you have to replace the window. I mean, that that's really more of a liability issue than coaching and speaking. I would say now, with what I just described recently, yeah, I got sued because I used a photo on a blog three years ago and some, you know, low life attorney is scouring that kind of arena to try to make a living. Well, that that's another story. Obviously, I, I have no bias there at all about the ethics of doing that, but I'll save those for another day. But with that, yeah, I have an LLC that has no bearing on that. An LLC means that my liability stops with my company. In essence, that means it's going to come into play if I want to just say, okay, you can have all the assets of my business, but that's not going to touch me personally. Well, it would take a whole lot more than a $2,900 photo use lawsuit against me to make me just fold up my tent and go home. So it really has very little bearing on what I do. I have an LLC primarily because of the way that I get income with advances and royalties where there may be significantly sized checks coming in where we can do some interesting things and moving that around rather than just coming right to me as an individual. That's really the only reason I have an LLC even at this point. It's not primarily for liability protection. So if that is your focus, I would say don't complicate things at this point. If you're in coaching speaking business, wait until you're making consistently more than $100,000 a year. Until then, just build your business. Keep it simple. That, that's really the way I would, I would suggest that you do that. Well, hey, let me just throw in here just a quick reminder. This is Dan Miller and the 48 Days Online Radio. You hear questions that we're discussing here. A lot of you may not be familiar with um, 48 Days or how to submit a question. So if you just go to 48days.com, click on the podcast link, you'll see there an opportunity to submit your question. You can do it verbally or write it in the little form that we put up for you there. And you can also, if you want to, just shoot an email to askdan at 48days.com. Well, here's a question comes from Phil, who says, you've been a huge encouragement. I've really been able to refocus a lot of my direction because of your training. Thanks so much. I'm in a direct sales company. Now, when we say direct sales company, I'm just adding it 
side note here, direct sales, we're usually talking about network marketing, multi-level marketing company. So something like Amway, Herbalife, NSA, Mary Kay, and all those other wonderful companies out there. So anyway, Phil says, as a company, as, an, as individuals, we rocked through the majority of the economic downturn, but this past year have lost a lot of ground. Our business focuses on personal sales and building a downline. What do you think of the top three things we could do to get people back to work? So I'm going to frame this, Phil, for your particular industry. So let's say that you are with one of the major network marketing companies. And you're saying, how can you get people back to work? Because you took a hit with the economic downturn. Okay, so we'll focus on that. Here's my three tips for you, which is what you asked for. Number one, be crystal clear on the advantages and benefits of your business and why it's a stellar opportunity for right now. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, you can describe the fact that in this, you're in the driver's seat. You aren't limited by what the company is going to do. You're not vulnerable by what the company who's writing you a paycheck decides to do, or if they decide that your position is redundant and they're going to let you go. No, you aren't vulnerable like that. If you have 30 people in your download downline, you're going to have a lot of insulation from ups and downs in the economy because you've got that many different people that are working. Now the, the old kind of cliche for network marketing is you get a little bit of the efforts of a lot of people rather than just hundred percent of your own efforts. You get a little bit of the efforts of a lot of people. Now there are a lot of ways to do that in addition to direct selling where you're building a downline of other distributors, but that's certainly one legitimate way to do that. So number one, be crystal clear on the advantages and benefits of your business and why it's a stellar opportunity for right now. Number two, choose your recruits carefully. Make sure they're a fit for direct selling. If there's one thing that I've seen as a negative and a disaster on the horizon for people in direct selling is recruiting anybody who breathes. And I know a lot of times you're taught to do that. I mean, if you, you talk to the little gal who checks you out at Kroger and you say, wow, I got an opportunity where you can make $50,000 a month. Well, is that realistic for that person? I don't know. Chances are pretty good. It's not. But that's the way a lot of times we're taught to recruit and direct marketing. Get anybody in. Now, yeah, you're going to have 10 people come in and maybe one of those really is going to stick through it and turn out to be a winner. To me, that's a horrible, horrible business model. Do I really want nine other people out there whose dreams were shattered, who were disappointed, who have learned not to really believe what I told them? I don't think that's an ethical or an admirable business model. Choose your recruits carefully. What do you look for in somebody who is really going to have a chance to be successful? If you're recruiting for Mary Kay, you better be looking for gals who have really outgoing, pleasant personalities, gals who are attractive already, who already know how to use makeup, where this is going to just be an addition to what they're already doing. You know, don't get people who are introverted and shy and try to think that you're going to transform their personality because of the financial opportunity, it's going to be frustrating for them and for you. So choose your recruits carefully. Make sure they're a fit for the direct selling model. Number three, work with your leaders. Invest time in those who have the most potential. 
A lot of times in direct selling organizations, I see the reverse being done. People invest the most amount of time with those who are struggling the most and consistently at the bottom of the barrel. Wow, don't do that. I mean, give them time and energy. Sure, they're always going to be there. But invest the most time, invest your real efforts with those who have the most potential to succeed. Those who are already showing that they're at the top of the game. Those are the ones you want to invest your time in. So those are my three tips for how to get people back to work and how to be successful in your direct selling business. Cool. Thanks for the question. Here's a question from Holly. It says, Dan, I'm on day 18 of the 48 days process. You mentioned that you have a revised vision of 48 days coming out next year. As I'm working through the process, I keep wondering what changes you've made and the job search process. I need to kick my job search into high gear. Any insights and new ideas you're willing to share would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for changing the way we think about work. Well, thanks Holly for being involved in the process. I mean, this is a great time. This, this is a wonderful time right here in November, December to be looking for new opportunities because a lot of people are waiting until January 1st. That gives you a built-in advantage. Now's a great time. Companies are trying to develop their teams. They don't want to start January 1st any more than you do from zero. They want to start with their team fully in place. Those people weeded out who are not contributors, new players already firmly in place to help them launch the year at 100% up and running. Now, if you're on day 18, if you're going through the actual steps that I lay out the 48 days, day 18, you start reading chapter seven, finding your unique path, day 19, then you're just starting into the point where you're going to start making contacts. Now, let me say this real quick. Yes, I'm doing a revision of 48 days to the work you love. The primary changes are going to be in removing the things that were time sensitive, talking about job trends. The last update I did was in 2010. So talking about job trends and statistics, time of on the job and all, those are the things I'll be changing because those will be updated. The basic processes of looking at yourself first, that 85% of the process is looking inward first to get a clear sense of who you are, how God has wired you. That's not going to change. The job search process in essence, is not going to change. Now, I I know we're always looking for that new, you know, magic ticket, that magic pill that's going to just boom. This is the one thing. This process that we've been using for years in the job search process continues to get the kind of results that we're hearing about. The three steps, critical steps of the job search process, and instantly I'll put a link in the podcast notes. If you go to 48days.com, look at this podcast, this particular podcast, the one where I say, you know, are you listening to the devil? Go down in the podcast notes. I'll have a direct link to the entire job search process that I have in 48 days to the work you love. The three steps, number one, send a letter of introduction to each company on your targeted list. Now I go through how to identify those 30 to 40 prospective companies that you want to contact. It doesn't matter who's hiring, who has an ad for an open position. If you wait for for that, you've lost your opportunity. So you're identifying 30 to 40 prospective companies where there would be a good match for the skills that you know you have. That's 
how we find those 87% of the jobs in what we call a hidden job market, jobs that have never been advertised or promoted in any way, and yet they're available. You just simply take the initiative by identifying companies and you send a letter of introduction. Number two then is to send a cover letter and resume one week after your letter of introduction, and I've got specifics in there about what you put in there. Number three is a phone follow-up. Now, yeah, there's a lot of technology. Can you just email people? Yes. Is that still seen as invasive, as an uninvited intrusion? Yes. Don't do that. So we still use physical mail as the first point of contact. Now, once you've had any, any interaction with somebody, then it opens up email. If they in fact open that up to you, you can communicate from there on out. But I've still got that laid out. How to do that, how to make a phone follow-up. Well, gee, nobody uses phone anymore. I mean, you can't, if you call 48 days, you are never, ever, ever, ever going to have somebody answer the phone. I mean, we just don't invest the time and energy to have somebody available to answer the phone. No, what you're going to get is voicemail. Yeah, you have to start with that, but you still have to be persistent, know how to get through that. And that is still the three-step process that we use for that. So I'll, I'll put in the podcast notes, the job search strategy. And I'll also put in there for those of you who may not have seen it yet, the 48 days schedule, the 48 days schedule that Holly is using to go through. Incidentally, we've got a little gal. I won't give out the, the link yet, but I want to because we've got a little gal who's going through all 48 days and she's blogging about every single day. She's doing a stellar job about just describing her experience at going through and how she's getting new insights, new opportunities, and things are coming together for her. She's also working up to getting married in this process, so it's interesting, but she's doing a really great job which personally I think she could then turn into an ebook, her own insights on going through the 48 days steps. But I'll also put up in there the 48 days schedule that Holly and this other gal, her name is Andy, are going through so that you can see that. But this is why we're still getting every day, we're getting notes from people like last week on the podcast here, I read one from Aaron who said, Dan, thanks so much for 48 days. The book has helped me reorient myself for better job hunting. In fact, I did 10 interviews and got three job offers in 15 days. And then his question was, I'm currently negotiating salaries and benefits with two of those offers. Do you have any red flags to watch out for during this stage of the process? I mean, that's the kind of notes that we're getting every day. Yeah, gee, I did what you said. I got three offers. Boom. What do I do now to really maximize the best opportunity? That's what you ought to be able to do if you go right through the, the job search process as it's laid out in the current version of 48 days. That's not going to be a place where there's any kind of significant change at all. Well, speaking of looking for jobs, here's another one. Tommy says, why should I now? He says, why should I work for an employment agency? But I think with the rest of his question, he's really asking, why would I work with an employment agency? Meaning if you're in a job search, why would you go to an employment agency where then they set you up on interviews? Uh, Tommy continues, I have a skill set that is in high demand, but employers seem to have these agencies weed out the underqualified and 25% or more of my wage. Well, you're exactly right. That's what employment agencies do. You go to them, they're going to look at your past history and say, oh, okay, I see that you are working in IT, you know, four major companies. So we'll get you another job in IT. We have these five companies that are hiring. We'll set you up on interviews. You go get a job and we'll take you know, 25% of your income for the first couple of years. Well, the question, why should you work with them? Well, 
use the 48 days job search process. And then here's my formula for you. Don't make working with employment agencies more than 10% of what you're doing in your job search. So if you use them, that's fine, but don't just give them your information and sit back and twiddle your thumbs till they call you to go on an interview. It may never happen. I mean, chances are it will never happen. If they do send you out on something, it's going to be very similar to what you were previously doing. What if you want to redirect? What if you want to do something a little bit different? That's not their expertise. That's not what they typically do. So be careful about using an employment agency. There are some distinct disadvantages. Yes, they're going to set you up to repeat what you just were most recently doing. And yes, they're going to take a major chunk of your income when you start doing it. I mean, it's like me using a speaker's bureau. I mean, if I get requests for speaking, so I get a request, I spoke recently for a real estate um, conference. So they contact me directly. Typically, somebody using a speaker's bureau would send that on to their speaker's bureau. So the speaker's bureau then, I mean, sets up my flight and hotel, which the speaking organization is going to take care of my hotel anyway. So it's a matter of setting up a flight. And for that, the speaker's agency is going to take typically 20%. Well, that's a pretty high payout for doing no more than they do if I've already gotten the request for speaking. So the real issue is, is the speaker's agency, a speaker's bureau going to go out and promote me heavily and get me 20 new speaking engagements? Not a chance in the world. What they're going to do is handle speaking engagements that are already coming into me. So I use them very, very rarely and very tentatively. Usually we just set it up ourselves. So I can get a lower fee from an organization and still have more in my pocket at the end of the day. The same thing is true in using an employment agency. If you do it and do it with discretion. So it's not the only thing you're doing. Believe me, you don't want to do that. All right. Here's a question from Braxton from Mesa, Arizona, who says, um, I was once self-employed, but have since, now this is a, this is a meaningful question here. And I want us to think through this a little bit. It, in fact, it may be the last one I'm able to, to deal with if we unpack this a little bit, because this is really significant in how he's laying this out. I was once self-employed, but have since taken a banking job in order to move back to my hometown. My passions are marketing, giving workshops and blogging about entrepreneurism and all the resources available nowadays. I'm incredibly anxious to leave this job that sucks the life from me and join an organization such as a nonprofit that could use my love of teaching entrepreneurial topics. I also want to work for myself. I have a website running and a book idea, but those won't get me out of my current job as fast as I'd like. I'm desperate for meaningful work, Dan, and I'm curious if you have ideas about other types of companies to approach while I'm building my own thing. I love your work. Thanks. Well, um, Braxton, we should all see ourselves as self-employed. Now, this is where we, we get into kind of a circular discussion here, because if you are going to teach entrepreneurship, but you really have to have a job to support yourself, 
there, there's a built-in irony there. I hope I'm being gentle in presenting this, but I hope you see the irony of what you're presenting. You believe in entrepreneurship. You want to teach entrepreneurship. You want to teach marketing, but you need a job because you can't make money on your own. I mean, that, that's a pretty tough position to be in because if you really believe in entrepreneurship, you understand entrepreneurship and marketing, man, you ought to have 50 ideas right at your fingertips for what you could do yourself to not have to crawl back to a, a life-sucking job. So we should all see ourselves as self-employed. I mean, if you're a graphic designer, but you don't think you could survive in your own business, it says one of two things. Let's just kind of see if we can't break this out a little bit. If you are a graphic designer, but you don't want to be in business for yourself, it says one of two things. One, you don't really think you're good enough for people in the open market to pay you. Or number two, you aren't willing to make the contacts to generate the work you need. Now, in either case, you're expecting to be subsidized by a real company to make up for your weaknesses. Okay, now that's okay, but be realistic about what's happening. See, for a company to hire you, they have to expect your efforts to generate three to five times what they're paying you. So if you're working for a company and you're being paid $40,000 a year, I mean, the company isn't making 41,000 on your efforts. The company knows that they're making 80, 120, $130,000 based on your efforts. Otherwise it wouldn't make sense for them to have you on board. I mean, if I have somebody come on board with us, I mean, I know their efforts are going to generate, I mean, with us, I mean, five, six times what we're paying that person. They know that. I'm very open about that. They're going to get a percentage of what revenue is being generated. So if you look at it in that way, you are drastically being underpaid for whatever it is you're doing if you really believe in what you're doing and you're working for a company. So theoretically, if you are a graphic designer, if we use that one as an example again, and you're being paid $20 an hour, you should be able to go out on your own. You should immediately be charging $60 an hour. So that's three times as much. So you could work fewer hours dramatically and still make more money at the end of the day. I mean, you have to believe that's the model here. So if you're in a job, you have to believe that you're being underpaid for the skills that you really have right available to you. So when you talk about, are there companies? Wow. I mean, there are, but if you really believe in the skills that you're laying out here, that you can teach people entrepreneurship and that you understand marketing, just find an idea of your own, put legs on it and be doing that. So then you can do workshops and speaking and coaching and writing the things that you want to do. Just create a model, create that Venn diagram that I use like in my business where you have multiple things that you're doing, but in the compilation totally outweighs financially what you could expect to be paid in a job because you've got, you know, you have a little ebook. I mean, I've got 
geez, I've got eBooks that may create, you know, $20,000 a year for me. Well, if I have three of those, just eBooks that are just working on their own, where I'm not even doing anything on a daily basis, I mean, that's $60,000. What if I do an event where three times a year I let people come in? You know, they pay, you know, in our events, it's $1,000 for a two-day event. If we have 60 people come to one of those, that's 60000 If I do that three times a year, that's 180000 I mean, put in your own numbers, but you see how quickly you can create your own model for what it is that you can do using your entrepreneurship and marketing skills. Just frame it around an exciting core message and do it yourself. Don't drag this process out. Then that will give you the confidence, boldness, and enthusiasm to teach and share your message even more. Well, I hope that makes sense. Wow. Hey, and the time has flown by as always. We're taking care of business here. Hey, I love your question. Thanks for being part of this amazing community that we're all in together where we can share ideas and link arms and help each other go to higher levels. That old uh, rising tide raises all ships is really, really true. But thanks for being part of this community where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. I had to wait to get the yeah in there. Have a great week.